You're listening to Flaunt, Find Your Sparkle and Create a Life You Love After Infidelity or Betrayal. Have you been betrayed by life, your body, or someone that you love? You're not alone. No matter what you've been through, Naked Self-Worth helps you regain confidence, joy, and enthusiasm so you can create a life you love and flourish. Tune in weekly and learn how. Wait a minute. Before you go on, I've got something for you that you are going to love. It's the Sparkle After Betrayal Recovery Guide, a downloadable guide that shows you exactly how to untangle yourself from the past, powerfully reclaim your sexy, and re-choreograph your future one step at a time. The best part? It's free. And downloading it gives you access to our monthly support calls as well. What are you waiting for? Break out of the pain and get your sparkle on today. Go to nakedselfworth.com. That's www.nakedselfworth.com and get your guide today. Hello and welcome to Flaunt. Find your sparkle and create a life you love after infidelity or betrayal. I am Laura Cheadle and I am a betrayal recovery expert and I help women who have been betrayed by their intimate partner and are determined to use this experience for good, for growth, for something. So the significance, so the pain is not lost and so that At the end of the day, they can look back and know that no matter what happened, no matter what they did, no matter what their partner did, no matter what anybody else around them did, that they were in their truth, in their own integrity, and from that place of truth, integrity, and power, they have created exactly the kind of life that they love going forward. Now, if you're wondering why I do what I do, it's because I have my own betrayal story. After 23 years of what I thought was a pretty darn good marriage. I mean, we had our ups and downs, of course, but I thought we had a really good, connected, happy marriage. I was devastated. I was shattered by the revelation that my husband had cheated on me for 15 years with, oh no, not one, but five different women. Now, it might surprise you to know that now, five years later, we are still together. And most importantly, we are happier in ourselves and our marriage than we ever were before. Today, we're going to talk about the infidelity recovery timeline, specifically what happens the first year after an affair. Okay, so the breakdown of this infidelity recovery timeline is going to be with D-Day and or the multiple D-Days because of trickle truth. It's going to be with the first month, then the first three months, the next three months, 
the next three months all the way up to that first year. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk you through what's going on. What's going on in your nervous system? What was going on in my nervous system? What's going on emotionally, spiritually, physically, mentally, all of that. So you can start gauging where you are at with things. Now, what I want to be clear about, however, is my one month mark is not your one month mark. My three-month mark is not your three-month mark. If you heal quicker or more slowly, that's fine. All of our situations are different and all of our situations are the same, all at the same time. This is the timeline. This is the map. This is the journey. But we all walk at different paces. Sometimes we sprint through something. Sometimes we stop and regroup and ground. There is no pressure that I want you to feel. There is no, I should be here and I'm not. This is just a guideline so you can understand, yes, I'm on the right path. Or, gosh, my healing has gotten stuck And I have not moved on from this point and I need help. Whether it's counseling or reading a book or reaching out to someone like me to help you move through that next point, this is just a timeline, a roadmap of the first year so you can figure out where you are at. Okay, let's start with D-Day, Discovery Day, the day that you start finding out the truth. And for most of us, sadly, or not sadly, and I'll cover that in a minute, it's not usually just one day. Oftentimes, what happens is our partner starts revealing pieces of the truth. And we start getting this trickle truth. And we start assimilating that. And then we learn more. And then we have to reground, regroup. The sand keeps shifting under our feet. And then we learn a little more and then a little bit more and then a little bit more. And then we're left wondering, is it ever going to end? And then we tend to feel anger. Why can't they just tell me? Let me tell you why they can't just tell you. And why you probably wouldn't want them to just blah, tell you everything all at once. You wouldn't want them to go blah and tell you everything all at once because that is a lot to assimilate. Learning about infidelity and betrayal truly disrupts your view of yourself and the world. It changes your identity. It changes your relationship not only with yourself and with your partner, but with everybody else in your life that you trust because now you're left with this question of, If I couldn't trust the person I was closest to, who the heck can I trust? So trickle truth oftentimes is a blessing because it allows us to start assimilating (laughs) bits of our identity, bits of the truth, instead of just completely having the band-aid metaphorically ripped off. Now, the reason that our partner does not tell us all at once is because our partner has not fully assimilated who they are, their identity, with what they have done. Let me explain that. We all have an identity. We all think we're good people. 
We all think we're kind people. We think we're loving people. We think we're good people. Nobody goes around going, I am such a bad person and I want to make really bad decisions and hurt people. Unless you're a psychopath or a sociopath, which most people aren't, we don't go around intending to do harm. When we do something that causes harm, we justify it. We justify it in our own mind because we want to keep our identity intact. A person who cheats also thinks they are a good person and they think they're not hurting their family. And for them to all of a sudden have to admit to everything, what that really requires is them admitting to themselves that, uh uh-uh, they are in fact a cheater, (laughs) a liar, a bad person. And that's a lot to ask of anybody. So that's why a cheater has this trickle truth come out. Because it would change their identity. It would disrupt their view of themselves so much. Now what I hear you saying is, yeah, who cares? They're disrupting my view. They're disrupting my life. Who cares? And I would say, yes, you are right. And... It's still a process. And no matter what was going on with your relationship, whether it was good, bad, or somewhere in between, as most relationships are, it's my hunch that you still do love your partner, at least in certain ways. And that you can extend that understanding and compassion that had you done this, you couldn't dump that on them because you love them. And that the same is true for them. They still do love you. And they don't want to hurt you. We don't want to hurt people that we love. So they held back. So they only spoke pieces of the truth. And as the truth would come out, they would shift their identity. They would see you shift. And it allows the truth to start integrating into both of your identities, both of your lives, actually more effectively than had the truth just been completely dumped at your feet. So that's D-Day. The emotions around D-Day are complete and utter horror, shock, disbelief, dissociation with your body, with your life. I literally crumpled to the floor. I could not wrap my head around this. It felt like I couldn't get a firm grip on reality. It was the most intense pain I have ever experienced. And I wanted to go to sleep and never wake up again. I wanted my memory wiped. I wanted a do-over. I wanted a new life. I suddenly felt extremely irrational. And like I was grasping at all of these straws because I didn't know who to trust or where to turn or what to do. And I had the sensation that I had to do everything all at the same time and nothing all at the same time. My nervous system was literally in a state of complete shock, crisis, overwhelm, 
overload. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't stay awake. I could like everything all at the same time. And with every instance of more trickle truth, more discovery, more, 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 I would go through it all again. And it felt like such a space of living hell. That first week is indescribable. The tears would not stop. I felt completely out of control, out of touch with my body, my emotions, and I could not see how things could ever change or be better again. That whole first month, you need to rely on others. That whole first month is about complete reliance. Food. (laughs) Have people bring you food. Buy food. Allow people to take care of you. To bring you things. If you want to talk, say you want to talk. If you don't want to talk, say you don't want to talk. That whole first month. Let it be entirely about you and don't try to do anything. I guarantee any decisions you make within the first month are not made from a place of rational contemplation. They are made from a place of anger or pain or shock or grief or sadness. And when you jump the gun and try to start doing more The decisions you make might not be the decisions you wish you were ending up with. So that whole first week, just allow, I'm sorry, whole first month, allow, allow others to hold you and support you. Ask for what you need. And even if you don't know what you need, speak that you don't know what you need, that you were just in intense pain and let people take care of you. As a matter of fact, in that first month, believe it or not, I reached out to my husband, the man who cheated on me, because I needed support. Because I had been married to him for 23 years, dating for 26 years, and I needed support. I needed him to take care of me as only he knew how to take care of me. And as twisted and weird as that sounds, that first month was all about me. And that first month or so needs to be all about you. Do not let anybody pressure you into a decision. Take what you need unapologetically. I needed my husband who had moved out to come over and put me to bed sometimes. I needed him to hold me while I cried sometimes. I needed him to sit across from me and to witness my raging sometimes. I needed him to bring me food sometimes. I needed him to take me for meals sometimes. Ask for what you need. 
unapologetically that whole first month. That whole first month is about you and you alone and let go of the rest. Obviously, there are some basics. If you need to feed a child or something, yes, you can do that or you can ask for help, but it is about you. Do not let anybody pressure you. After that first month, we've got the next two months. So this is like the first quarter after an affair. For those first three months after an affair, what happens is life kicks in again. You've taken that month off, so to speak, to just heal. For the next couple of months, life kicks in. You've got work. You've got maybe family events. Things are happening. And again, I encourage you not to make any decisions, but to just get through life. In my case, my son graduated from high school. And there were all of the concerts and award ceremonies and activities that take place at the end of the school year. The whole focus was on getting through them. Not really on easing the impact of the trauma, but just learning how to live with that trauma. What is it like to go to a concert, not as a family? What is it like to attend a school event and have my husband on the opposite side of the gym as me? It's about living. What is it like to have the kids continue their relationship with him? What is it like to have our families involved in some things. The next section, the, these next few months, are all about living. Now, what you will feel, you will feel an intense need to take action, to fix this. One moment, you're going to have this like fluttering anxiety that you're not moving fast enough and that how am I going to support myself and where am I going to live and what's going to happen here and what if we make it work and then if we do this and then he cheats again, blah, blah. Let that all go. Just live. The motto for that first quarter is just live because that's all it's about. It's just live. First week is all about you. First quarter is just live. It's also about integrating the story into your everyday life. That's part of that just living. Maybe somebody at work needs to know what's going on because you're showing up differently at work. Maybe friends or family need to know what's going on. It's about starting to craft that narrative. It's about starting to dip your toe into life again. Yes, your nervous system is still jacked up. Yes, you're still in trauma, but it's not as acute. And it's about just living and just being. The next three months, so this is the second quarter after the affair. And that's where some of the learning really starts kicking in. Yes, we were in therapy from the very beginning of the very first D-Day. 
But that was just to manage those acute moments, that acute stress. That was just to figure out how do we show up at a family event, not as a family. The second quarter, six months after the affair, six months after D-Day, that's where that learning really started kicking in. We went to an affair recovery weekend. I almost backed out of that, and I'll come back to that later. We read, I think, every book out there. (laughs) And we really started going deeper, both with our individual and with our marriage counselor. Now, I said I almost backed out of our affair recovery weekend, and I want to say more about that. We had that first quarter, which is just figuring out how to live. Now we're in the second quarter and we're learning and we're discovering. And I think that I want to stay together because I'm invested and I do love him and I'm starting to understand some things differently, but I'm still very insecure and I still don't trust him because he completely shattered my worldview the view of how married people treat each other, the view of all of that. So we're about to go to this marriage recovery weekend. It's the night before. And he brings our suitcases up. And I look at mine and I feel this sensation that I can't pack, that I can't do it, that I don't want to go forward with this, that I don't want to learn anymore. I don't want to do this. Yet at the same time, I felt this intense sadness about not moving forward. So I packed. The next morning came, and I didn't want to put my suitcase in the car. He loaded it for me. I got in the car, and I immediately had a meltdown where I started crying and sobbing. And in the middle of that meltdown... A sentence came out of my mouth that ended up being such truth for me and for us and for what I was experiencing. And that sentence was, I just want you to fight for me and for us. And as I looked up from my tears, I saw his entire body change. And it was interesting because it was like a sense of relief, like a huge weight had been shifted and lifted from his heart, from his shoulders. And he said, that's all I've wanted to. I can do that. I know how to do that. And that's what I want. And that was the confirmation for me that I needed to go forward with a little bit more trust. Did I trust him completely? Heck no. But that was my moment where I knew, okay, I can really learn. I really think that we both want each other in this relationship. And what I can do for me and for him is learn. I can learn. I'm not going to lie. The affair recovery weekend was very difficult. There were moments where I wanted to throw him under the bus. 
there were moments where I just wanted to get my story out and have everybody come to my side and be like, oh, you poor thing, and how could he do this to you? There were moments of rage. There were moments of horror and shock. Also, about how I had hurt him and how I had never realized that I was hurting him. And then I had my own moments where I was so horrified with myself and with what I had inadvertently done that I almost didn't want to go forward either because going forward meant that I had to confront my own demons. I had to move into my own shadow. I had to make amends and apologize for the hurts that I had caused him. And I kept wanting to say, but you hurt me worse. But you hurt me worse. And it was that weekend where I really had to come to terms with. It doesn't necessarily matter who hurts who worse or who hurts who first. It's that realization that in any partnership, in any relationship, grievances go both ways. And pains go both ways. And hurts go both ways. And what matters is owning and atoning for what you do. And that there's a complete difference between intention and impact. I never intended on hurting my husband, but I did. And he never intended on hurting me, as crazy as that sounds, but he did. So those next three months, that second quarter after the affair, was all about insecurity, (laughs) learning, realizing that I wasn't perfect, that the narrative I had started to construct in my head that I was so perfect and he cheated on me and he didn't communicate and he, 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 that wow, this was a we, this was not he, this was we. And we were treading very lightly with each other because I would have to own things that I did. And again, it's hard to not judge the intensity of the grievances. I heard his feelings over decorating the house, using different colored paint on the walls. And like I said, so many parts of me wanted to say, and that doesn't matter. That's not a big deal. Infidelity, that is a big deal. Yes. And... The sum total of all of those little ways that I hurt him still hurt him. And that it wasn't about who hurt who more or worse or first. It was about owning and atoning. And oh boy, was that an education for both of us. And I had mentioned insecurity. As these things would come up, Every single time, we would revisit, do you want to stay together? Do you say you want to stay together? Because I say I want to stay together, but do you really want to stay together? And if I said I didn't, would you? And it was always this game. And there were a few times we would even write down on a piece of paper, I want to stay together. And we'd say, I know know we can't say it to each other, but let's each write it down. Do you want to stay together or do you want to separate? And that way we'll just write it on a piece of paper and then we'll just drop our little pieces of paper, you know, on the table together and then we'll pick up each other's paper and we'll read it both at the same time. We were that insecure. We were that immature. 
because we were both so afraid because we each knew what we wanted, but we were afraid the other person didn't want what we wanted. And every single time, those little pieces of paper would say, I want to stay together. I want to keep going. I want to learn more. Sometimes we didn't even commit to staying together forever. We just committed to learning more. Because the education was so great and so real. And not only was it for us, for our marriage, for our relationship, but it was such an education for all relationships and for life. And it was very humbling. Very humbling. Because it wasn't that I was the victim. It wasn't that I was the betrayed partner. It was those next six months that I started really realizing I'm not a victim. This is a situation. It's a circumstance. And I have a part in it. I am not at fault. I am not to blame. But I have a part in this relationship. And owning that is, again, equal parts embarrassing and humbling and powerful because if I had a part in it, my actions will then change my future. And whether it's this relationship or another relationship, I am now more self-aware and I understand things better and I will do things differently. Again, whether this is like you at the six-month mark like it was for me or whether it happened before or after, this is that next phase. The first phase is learning just how to live. The second phase is learning. It's about owning and atoning and really understand what was going on. So quarter three, the next three months after that. In our case, we had our anniversary. And let me tell you, the first anniversary after an affair is a tough one. Whether it's right around the corner or, you know, almost a year later, it's a freaking tough one. We had done a lot of work on understanding, owning, atoning, all of that. And what we decided that we wanted for our anniversary was to start anew. And we didn't really know what that meant, but we knew we wanted to leave the past behind us. And again, we kept committing to each other in the short run. I commit to you to keep learning. I commit to you to keep trying. I commit to you to get greater understanding of myself and us. So during our anniversary, we decided to do a bridge crossing ceremony which is something that I had done in the past with clients, which is what I still do in the present with all my infidelity clients. And what a bridge crossing ceremony is, is it's literally a ceremony where you cross a bridge. Doesn't matter what bridge, find a bridge, make that bridge your bridge. And as you stand on one side, you look back and you see where you're at and what's behind you. And everything that you've been through. And then you see that chasm, that valley of the shadow of death, the dark night of the soul, everything there that's unknown. And as you're walking suspended over this chasm, 
you know, whether it's a three inch chasm because it's just a small bridge or what, it doesn't matter. It's, it's the metaphor for what you're doing. And then that you land and you walk from that chasm and set foot on the other side. And that you are intending what is on the other side. You are leaving that past behind. You are walking through the valley of the shadow of the death, through the dark night of the soul. You are allowing yourself to be carried across. You are using your agency and free will to walk across. And now you have landed on the other side. And whether you want to metaphorically destroy that bridge or just keep walking and never look back at that bridge, you know that you are now on the other side. And being on the other side doesn't mean that everything is sunshine and rainbows, but it means you are on the other side. And that means you have intended to cross the bridge. You have intended to get out of the muck. You have intended to leave it behind. And that's what we did. We went to the mountains. We prepared. We wrote letters to ourselves and to each other. We identified what we were walking away from, what we were crossing over, and what we were walking into. And we spent pretty much the entire third quarter after D-Day not doing, but being. We were empty nesting at that point. We would sit on the patio. We would meditate. We'd listen to music. We'd build a fire and watch it burn. We completely decompressed. And we let everything gel. It was about nothingness. It was about simply being. Now, I also want to be clear and realistic. During those moments of being, during quarter three of just being, did we have fights? Yes. Did we have difficulties? Yes. Did we have amazing, rich, intimate, rewarding times? Yes. But we had no expectations of ourselves, or of others. We just allowed ourselves to be and to integrate. And sometimes we would continue to read and to learn. And sometimes we would just give ourselves white space. And when we came out of quarter three, We were ready in that fourth quarter to start really creating what life would be like now and going forward. Our fourth quarter landed during the holidays, December, January. And that fourth quarter was very tentative. We would take the first steps about rebuilding How do we want to do Christmas? How do we want to do Thanksgiving? What is Valentine's Day going to look like? What does this mean? 
And how are we going to reclaim things? A little bit before, we had the opportunity to attend a convention. The convention was one that my husband had cheated at years before. And I decided to go with him. We decided that I would go with him in order to reclaim that. That was one of those things. Us deciding, us creating. How is this going to look? What do we want to do? How is this going to be for us going forward? Life was different. We had a different kind of romance. We had a different kind of intimacy. We really rested in each other more because the whole year had been so traumatic. And it was really beautiful to be able to start creating anew instead of just living by default. Instead of just being, hey, this is what we do on Christmas and this is what we do on New Year's and this is what we do. It was like a new relationship. What does this mean? How do you want to do this? How should we make this work? Our level of intimacy really increased because of the way that we were living, but also because of the work that we had done earlier. The understanding, the growth, the reading. And having that bridge crossing ceremony really allowed us to put the past behind us. Not in terms of we're not going to talk about it, we're not going to work on it, but in terms of that's how we used to do it. And now this is a new relationship. What are we going to do now? One of the things that we even did, and I recognize that this is a very privileged position, but we ended up buying a new property. It really signified like this is us. This is buying a new place for us to go forward. And the past is truly behind us. It was a bonded commitment to each other and to the way that we were doing things. And then when that one year anniversary rolled around, we both had a sense that it really is over. Like we really did make it and it really is over. And for us, we did not want to mark the anniversary. It still made us nauseous. It still was too much to handle and it was still too painful but there was a relief. We've gotten through all the holidays. We've gotten through all the events. We've done it. Now, like I said at the beginning of the show, this is, is the affair recovery timeline. And each quarter is separate and distinct in its intention, in its purpose, in the way your nervous system reacts and responds. And I don't want you to think that you are not where you need to be because we all have different scenarios. But know that this is the path. At the beginning, your nervous system is completely traumatized. It's completely jacked up. You just need to live. Take, get support, and just live. Quarter two, it's about learning and understanding. It's about 
owning things, atoning where you need to be. It's about humbling yourself to yourself, but also to each other. It's about really letting go of the victim stance and learning what really happened so you can start healing your nervous system. And that's what quarter three is all about. Just being, (laughs) letting go of expectations and dropping and stopping. And then quarter four is about creating those new beginnings, getting a little excited, maybe getting a little bit curious. And most importantly, intending and deciding to leave the past behind. To take this bridge to the metaphoric promised land. And to decide what it is that you are creating. Again, this journey could take you two years. It could take you three years. But it is a journey and it is a path. And these are the steps. And if you need a little bit longer in one phase or the other, that's totally fine. And it's like the stages of grief. You move through them, but there's not a clear beginning and there's not a clear ending. It's just that you keep cycling through. And here I am five years later, and I still notice this cycle repeating year after year, with less intensity, yes. But I'm still learning how to live. I'm still learning how to calm my nervous system. I'm still learning more about what caused this. Who am I? Who is he? And then I think most importantly, what do we continue to want together? Because that's what really so much of this is about, is that constant recreation and that constant decision of how do I want my life to look like? And is this making me happy or is this not making me happy? Because at any point in time, it is up to us to notice and to shift and to cross a bridge again if we need to. Because life is short. And as you may or may not know, the number one regret of the dying is I wish I had lived a life that was true to me instead of the kind of life that was expected of me. Infidelity is horrible. And it is a wonderful opportunity for a fresh start. It's a wonderful opportunity to cross that bridge and to let go of expectations of a life that was built up around you or for you that might not be exactly what you like. It's an amazing opportunity to own all facets of who you are, your shadow side, your powerful side, your dark side, all of it. And to get very clear about who you are, what you want, and what you need to create the future of your dreams. In my case, it included staying together 
And my husband and I are so happy that we did. And that doesn't have to be the story for you. You can also be so happy that you didn't. The story is yours. The choice is yours. I would be honored to be your guide on this journey, to walk you across this bridge, to cross you into whatever kind of future you most passionately desire. Reach out, Laura, L-O-R-A, at Laura Cheadle, L-O-R-A-C-H-E-A-D-L-E.com if you want to talk, and I'm happy to talk. If you'd like to download your Betrayal Recovery Guide, go to BetrayalRecoveryGuide.com and download your Betrayal Recovery Guide. But in the meantime, know that this is the timeline. It doesn't matter where you're at. It just matters that you keep moving ahead and that you're not stuck in one quarter forever. Reach out. I can help you move through this. I can help you get unstuck. Because you're worth it. Because this is your life. And you deserve for it to be a good one. Have an amazing week. And always remember to flaunt exactly who you are. Because who you are is always more than enough. Are you looking for a great way to make new connections and spread your wings? Revel is a new kind of social platform exclusively for women over 40, where you can do just that. With virtual and in real life events, authentic conversations, and no ads, Revel is the community site exclusively designed for like-minded, fabulous, fun women in midlife. Learn more and join for free at HelloRevel slash flaunt. That's hello, R-E-V is in Victor, E-L dot com slash flaunt. Come join us. It's nourishing and super fun.